Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, it's good to be with you. I'm Father Shane Demon, And I'm Father Travis Crotty. And this is a special edition of Outcast Catholic. Friends, we are pleased to have with us today a very special guest, all the way from Alton, Illinois, Sister Carolyn, the vocation director for the Franciscan Sisters of the Martyr of St. George. Sister, welcome to Outcast Catholic. Thanks for having me. Hey. Wow, all my adoring welcome. fans. In Sioux City. Yes. Here we are, wow. live in Sioux City. We are live in Sioux City. Well, live in terms of our... You know, we are alive. We are alive. We're together well in person. Recording this now. Six feet apart. Uh, yes. You know, you two go way back, don't you? I have met Sister through Steubenville conferences and vocations work, uh-huh. but you two have known each other from uh, various things down in St. Louis. Yeah. There's this infamous Theology of the Body retreat. T.O.B. retreat. I thought two, two weeks out, I was just going to be showing up to help be a table leader. One week out, I found out that I'm leading the retreat with one other seminarian and sister. We met her like three hours before the retreat started and had the best retreat ever. It was probably the best retreat of my life and my best experience with Theology of the Body in my life. Yeah. Kind of changed my life, actually. We may have uh, hosted line dancing in the middle of the day. Really? We showed them how it was done. We showed them how it was done. For sure. There's some spike ball, too, and maybe some ping ping pong. Definitely some ping pong. (laughs) There's ping pong. Hacky sack. There may have been some freestyle rapping done. (laughs) <laughs> oh, sorry. Maybe later. Maybe later. Yeah, we're going to do another episode, ladies and gentlemen, with Sister on the Beatbox too. Right. Here, <laughs> yeah. So we go. Yeah, we go back. And then in my time in St. Louis, Sister and I would randomly see each other at just random parishes all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It just kind of happened. I'd show up for a youth group event for a speaking engagement and be like, "Oh, Father Travis is here." Or uh, yeah, or I would be asked to come help at some retreat. Uh, with with teens and oh and sister carolyn too well quality does draw quality right oh that's Ooh. true yes that's good. that's good so here we all are speaking of quality right. high quality the highest well we are Top thrilled show. that you could be here because you're kind of doing a little midwest tour right now for your own vocations work mm-hmm. working your way through omaha and lincoln and you wanted to buzz up to sioux city and we're, we're having some uh great opportunities to have you speak to some of our young women in this community about vocations and discernment so it's great that you took time out of your busy, busy schedule Extremely to be busy. on Outcast Catholic today. It's That's great, awesome. to, great to contribute to some quality content. You know, listen to a lot of that while I drive, while I traverse the highways of the Midwest. Well, I'm sure our download, you know, count is going to go through the roof now when Absolutely. they hear that right. Sister Carolyn is one of our special guests. Right. Someone once called me the Sister Carolyn. I was like, oh, I have an article in front of my name. Mm, it's kinda, That's a big deal. The one and only. How do you handle that fame, Sister? Uh, with all humility. Good answer. Yeah. Good answer. The first time I think I ever met Sister was at a Steubenville conference at Mid-America down in Springfield. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's just jamming, rocking out, and I see this sister, like, down on the floor with her headset on, like, you know, they always look really cool down at very, St. Louis. Very, cool. They got very their headsets official, on. Right? They're, they're very official. You know they're, like, talking to the CIA while also ushering people around right. the but arena. then when you actually work with the youth ministry office, you just realize they're just, like, cracking jokes to each other the whole time. Right. There's not a lot of seriousness <laughs> going on. 
the, yeah, right. there's some bingo. Like, oh, when's the host going to say this <laughs> exactly thing? Exactly right. As soon as the host says this thing, then yeah, you just that's what the headset bingo. Are for. Right. That's what it's for. Well, sister was just jamming. She was praising Jesus, hands in the air, and no self-consciousness, and it was beautiful. Absolutely. Because she was surrounded with teenagers who were all very self-conscious. Was that the same year I wore the dinosaur costume, which also took, like, <laughs> just shedding of the self-consciousness? Cause I, I don't remember that. Are there photos online? There's a video online. Ooh. Yeah. But, wow. Hmm. Okay. Good research if project you know, for you tonight. Know. If you know, if you, you know. know. you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, sister, this is Outcast Catholic. And I think there are, you know, in this contemporary world, a lot of young women thinking about religious life, wondering, is Jesus calling me to something more than marriage? Is he, call, is he drawing my heart into something bigger than marriage vows on an earthly sense? And so many of them just feel like, I don't know what to do with those thoughts. I don't even know where to turn. I'm going to feel like an outcast in this world in which everyone is, you know, I, I just see this among our young girls, like, you should be flipping through bridal magazines, planning your bridesmaids' colors by the age of 12. You know what I'm saying? And yet there, there's so many other opportunities for women to show feminine beauty and feminine grace and express the feminine genius in service of the church and the world. So I thought maybe we could uh, spend a little time focusing on some discernment issues, uh, but also how is it that women really embrace the call to be a bride of Christ, knowing that the world is not going to support you in this? And there might be some days that you feel like an outcast, but yet there's a, there's a rich network of support within community life and within Jesus in that intimacy that he provides. Sure. Yeah. I mean, to follow Jesus is to be an outcast in so many ways, right? And that's the outcast band that he, he gathers together. And so to be a woman religious, especially in this context, this culture, is a, it's an outcast kind of thing to do. You, know, you think you're going to grow up, get married, have a family, have the white picket fence, the whole nine, like all the things that you're told are the normal things to do. And then when something abnormal starts to come up in your heart, in your prayer, it starts to get a little bit lonely and maybe isolating and um, not really sure where to turn because there's not a lot of resources out there for women. So that's mm-hmm. that's a part of it too. And even to be an outcast to one's own family. I'm working with a young woman right now who literally she told her mom this is what she's thinking about, and her mom said, "Well, then I have one less child." Wow, Whew, that's Ooh. that's outcast right there. And it's thanks, it's mom. Cold and it's harsh, and it's really not what a parent who's brought their child to the baptismal font and has said the child belongs to God more than me is just on loan. Um, it's, it's a contradiction of that. So. Mm. Um, Prayers for prayers for young women out there who are finding themselves in that situation and maybe even afraid to engage the possibility of becoming an outcast for Christ right. because of of the fear of what might happen, uh, the fear of being being an outcast in one's own family. Mm-hmm. I think there's quite a bit. There, it's even more outcast, outcasting. You feel more like an outcast because there's so few, uh, there's so few sisters around. Even in my town, that's like twenty thousand people, less than that. There used to be like two convents at both parishes with at least 20 sisters in town. Mm-hmm. Now people at least see a priest at their parish, but they might not see a sister unless they go to something like Steubenville or happen to be in a town with a thriving convent or mon- monastery. Mm-hmm. Sure. There, there are pockets, right? There mm-hmm. are pockets of women religious here and there. And, you know, they show up on the interwebs here and but there. They used to be but, in every town. And right. now, so it's even more, yeah, it just feels even more like the most random thing you could possibly do because you never see it. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I grew up, the only sisters that I knew were old and angry. So the idea of being a sister was not attractive to me at all because they were old, angry, and they wore ugly shoes. And I just couldn't fathom wearing... You have pretty cool shoes. I, I do. I'm not wearing the Chacos today because there's, there's snow on the ground. So I <laughs> thought Chacos probably don't go so well with snow. Um, but yeah, I'm a Skechers kind of girl. They yeah. just comfort, classy, all the things. So There you have it. There it is. Fashion tips from sister right here. <laughs> um 
One of the things that I was thinking of is not only does, does one kind of feel like an outcast just in discerning this, um, but you have the joy of kind of breaking through people's um, stereotypes. And, and I, Father, you and I have experienced this as well. Oh, sure. You break through people's stereotypes. You disarm them with what they think religious life is all about. You can disarm them of what they think the Catholic Church is all about. Any amazing stories from like walking through an airport and just completely disarming oh my somebody? Gosh, that's my favorite thing ever. You know, most people get annoyed when their flights are canceled or delayed. I get excited because I know that that means I'm going to have some kind of encounter. Um, <laughs> the Holy Spirit set yeah, it up. The right? best one, the best one ever was with this guy named Darius. Darius was one of those guys at the airport who is like the, the wheelchair guy who like brings people like from their gates and everything. And so uh, I stopped at the restroom. I was with another sister, and she had gone in, and I was watching the bags, and we were going to do like the flip flop thing. And so I'm standing there, and he had dropped off this woman and he's just standing there he kept kind of looking at me from the side of his eye and I caught it and just kind of smiled and this is before we had to wear masks now it's a little bit harder but uh and and he just goes uh, excuse me can I ask you a question I said sure he goes are you a nun (laughs) I mean there's a whole distinction between nuns and sisters but we didn't have time to get into that that day Darius and I and I and I just said yeah 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 and he goes hmm hmm can I ask you another question I was like sure he goes were you like born into that? <laughs> I was like, like royalty? Cause like, no. And I literally gave him like a 30 second version of my vocation story. It was just kind of like, you know, I had a dream job, dream boyfriend, had all the things that I thought would make me happy. And it was in the midst of that, that I just realized that the world would never be enough. Mm. And at that moment, the sister came out and it was my turn to go. And I was like, Oh, have a good day. And she told me that he just leaned back against the wall and just goes, Hmm the world will never be enough. And just like kept repeating it to himself <laughs> for a little bit. So um, yeah, just like talk about disarming and just kind of like putting that, that thought of truth and the, and witnessing to heaven. I mean, that's, that's the role of consecrated life, right? Mm-hmm. We're living heaven now that all of us in heaven are going to be poor, chaste and obedient. And so it's in living that here and now we're, we're choosing to say yes to what will be for all of us. Mm-hmm. Well, that's beautiful. And we've, we've kind of tag teamed it. I remember at once going to that hipster burger place after the ordinations in St. Louis together with like, three guys in clerics and then an, a sister in like a full habit. And it's fun to break the stereotype that like priests, oh, priests and nuns, they're all just like old and grumpy. And we come in not old nor grumpy and shake it up. Yeah. I'm a little older, but slightly uh, older. I was going to say it. <laughs> uh, Shane, slightly older too, but I, I, I don't fine. say it. I don't, I'm not going to mention it. Yeah. We know you're the youngest and we, we delight in that. That's th- thank you. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's really nice. We look down at you with our wisdom and we, <laughs> <laughs> this, this, thanks. Appreciate this hoary crown of wisdom as this says in the Psalms, ah, right? Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> Sister, if there are people thinking about religious life, maybe we have some young women considering it. Maybe they have friends or siblings considering it and they don't know how to react. Maybe we even have some adults whose children are, are open to religious life and they don't know how to process this. What would be some um, maybe some initial suggestions that you might have for all these folks discerning it for themselves or for a loved one? Yeah, so the word discernment can be so scary, and it's kind of a misunderstood word in the church, too, I think, that people think, I have to discern. Well, Jesus invites one to discern. So if the idea is on your heart, there's a reason that it's there. And I think that the key is to have a conversation with the Lord about it. Jesus, why is this thought crossing my mind? Like, what is drawing my heart? What is attracting me? And how do I how do I go there? So first and foremost, it's growing in prayer. Uh, and you're just growing in that friendship with Jesus, because any kind of vocation is an outgrowth and an expression of that kind of love. So it's, it's the way that the Lord is inviting you to live 
your love for him. Uh, and so to, to just kind of pay attention to that and to grow in that friendship and that relationship. And then it's to, to start researching. I mean, we have the Googles, right? People can just type in religious communities, which can be overwhelming. Uh, but I remember my sister, my sister's also a sister. So that's kind of a fun fact. And mm-hmm. we're like a pretty run of the mill East Coast Catholic family, very different from a Midwest Catholic family. Very different. Uh, but yeah, like went to CCD, like public school, CCD kind of Catholic family. And two of the three of us had a religious vocation. Uh, and we used to joke about like Googling religious communities back in the early days of the Googles and mm-hmm. then clearing the history. So no one knew, Ooh, <laughs> no yeah. one knew what we were Clear looking at history. or like, yeah. or like, you know, we'd have like some brochures and stuff and like hide it in the sock drawer. So no one would find <laughs> it. Like, no, I can't really tell anybody. Um, so yeah, just kind of starting to look at like, what are, what does it look like to live religious life? And the other thing too, is to start with what you know, like if you've encountered religious to start to get to know those communities. There's a reason that they're in your life. Uh, there's a reason that, you know, there's, we call our community the boy next door community in a lot of ways. So many of us have these vocation stories. That it's like we're so drawn and attracted to the habits of this other community or the beautiful chapel of this other community. <laughs> and we come to visit ours and we're like, oh, that chapel is 1965 and the gray. I don't know. But my heart was like right at home, you know. So paying attention to where your heart is at home and um, and just starting with what you know. And as you start with what you know, See if it clicks. See if there's a sense of home and a sense of peace there, and then continuing to move outward towards where the Lord wants to lead you. That's the other key for discernment: is that it's the Lord's lead, and that a vocation is a gift from God and it's a call from God. So our our response is just that: it's a response. It's not my own initiative. It's not me grasping for something or trying to make something work, but it's simply walking into what will work because it's the way our heart is shaped. Um, there's this idea of charism, right? That every community has a charism given by the Holy Spirit. That's that's at the heart of who they are. And the charism is deeper than what's done. It's deeper than the job. So our, like our, our charism is to make the merciful love of Christ visible. It's a pretty versatile charism. So we have people who are doing hospital and, and healthcare ministry, but also education. So it's not, we're not like locked into one particular work. And I remember I'm not medical at all. Like don't do blood, bad at chemistry. Mm. There's no way that a medical career ever would have worked out for me. And when I came to visit and like really felt drawn to the charism and merciful love and I asked mother for permission to enter, she said, mm, you have to come even if it means you never teach again because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Yeah. So a charism is really the spirit with which the work is undertaken. I mean, there's lots of communities that teach, there's lots of communities that do healthcare, but what's the spirit with which it's done? And so paying attention to what's what moves me and the mercy of the Lord and the, and the sacred heart and the crucified Christ, like those things are all pieces of my own spirituality and things that have always been a part of my life. And so encountering our community, it's like, oh, that matches this. And that, that makes sense in my life. All of a sudden, my life just made a whole lot of sense. Nice. You know, Father Johnny Burns is the, one of the vocation directors of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. Great guy. Yeah. And one of the things that he often reminds his audiences when he's speaking on vocations it's not your job to go figure out your vocation. It's actually Jesus's job to reveal it, and then you accept in kind of humble fidelity, right? Uh, so this desire like, I need to go search 1,800 websites, and I have to like somehow chart out this whole this thing, that because Jesus is just leaving me breadcrumbs, and I have to put all the puzzle pieces together. You know, he doesn't want to jerk our chain around. You know, he actually <laughs> does want to reveal this in a way that's very life-giving. Um, and I, and I encounter that as a vocation director myself when young women are thinking of religious life or young men are thinking of religious life. They'll, they'll sometimes wonder, well, there's this, there's this community in Spain and they're just thriving. Maybe I should go start there. Well, wait a minute. Where, where is Jesus revealing this to you? You know, Right. It's not about the breadcrumbs. No. <laughs> it's about the shape of your heart. I mean, ultimately, it's about the shape of your heart. 
I think the Backstreet Boys or NSYNC said that best. Maybe it was 98 Degrees. I, I was know. a small child when oh, that came out, so I don't true, remember. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> great, great music of the 90s. I was just thinking of the scripture, uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Mm. And sometimes, I mean, my, my own brothers in college seminary or friends that I've known, there's this idea that discernment becomes this huge burden, and that's just not from the Lord. He doesn't <laughs> want us to struggle through it like that. Yes. But there's this step that you realize— any vocation is a real sacrifice of love. So it's not like one of whatever vocation will be like easier, like it will be just like less sacrifice, but the sacrifice, it will become beautiful and becomes a gift when it's with the Lord, but there's freedom there. So it's beautiful to watch somebody that the more they discern that charism of their heart, whether that's the married life, priesthood, whatever, like particular religious charism, there's more freedom and they become more who they are. So that's what to pay attention yeah, to. Yeah, not easier, but there's an ease. Yeah, that's facility, a, that's, yeah. That's the key. I, there's a young woman that I know who was with one community, and she discerned out as a novice and kind of returned to the world and finished her degree and did a bunch of other stuff, but still felt this call to religious life and kind of kind of like pushed it away. Like, well, Lord, I already tried that, and it didn't work, so it's probably not it. Uh, but then she encountered another community and started to feel really drawn to that. And she's now, she's made her profession with them. And I saw her after she became a novice. And, and I looked at her, I'd known her since she was 16. And I just said, you you're, you look like you. You're so you. And she said, I can't, ex- I can't explain it other than to say that th- there's just been an ease to it. And my mom said the same thing to me when I was a novice and she came to visit. And she was so worried that I was going to enter the convent and they were going to suck my personality out of me and I wasn't going to get to do any of the things that I loved. And we were together and, and she just kind of stopped and stared at me in that weird mom stare, you know, like <laughs> that weird mom stare. And uh, she goes, you're just so you. <laughs> I was like, of course. And she goes, yeah. and like, you love to play the guitar and you get to play it even more and for a better purpose. And, and you love to decorate cakes and you get to do that and you get to make cards for people and do artwork. And these are all things that you love and you're doing it to the next level. I'm like, oh, that's part of consecration too, is that everything that we do is for a higher purpose. And we're, we're like our, our own work as, as menial as it may seem, even mopping a floor, like there's a, there's an eternal purpose to it. Mm. That's awesome. I was just talking to a focused missionary friend who just had like a kind of a, a great win in ministry. And she was just describing like, wow, when you actually follow the Lord's call in your life, there can be all this tremendous joy. And I was like, yeah, just wait till you like actually lean into a vocation, whatever it is. And it's, it's beautiful. There are like more moments of suffering, but then the, the joys and yeah, the consolations that come are even better. I was just thinking about parents and their looks, right? Because they, 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 that weird mom look that you were mentioning, parents do see things in us, and, and they see these personalities shining forth, or they just know in our tone of voice or in our, the look of our eyes that hey, there might be something a little off there. But when they can see the joy you know, that's radiating from you, what a wonderful kind of um, confirmation of your own discernment. It's That's funny. Awesome. When I made final vows, our, my diocesan newspaper did like a little story about it. And it was a year of consecrated life too, which was, that was a pretty great timing thing. Um, but the article, they quoted, they interviewed my parents and my dad's like, oh, from the time she was young, we could see hints of this. And I'm like, really? Like my dad's never, he didn't even say that to me. <laughs> I, just, I read about it in the newspaper. <laughs> Classic dad move too. And then, you know. <laughs> You mean as a as a middle aged man, he wasn't comfortable talking about his feelings of seeing a vocation in you? You're kidding! I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that, sister. Uh, in addition to obviously being consecrated, you have a particular vocation as a as a Franciscan, um, and that's not exactly a lifestyle or an identity that get you like huge popularity street cred in this world these days. No, even I, in the Catholic street cred. 
This is true. Yeah, this is true. We're kind of we're like the yeah we're we're with we're with the outcasts. It's the outcast kind of way of living consecrated life in some ways, and that's what Francis would want. I mean, Francis was the outcast of the of the 13th century, and that's what he desired. He desired to be the outcast. So to be a Franciscan is to kind of clean up the the key. I remember I was at a at the seat conference. Uh, there was a campus that invited me to be part of their weekend, and there were two other religious communities that were present. And on Sunday morning, after the closing mass, they all went off and drank coffee. And I was like rolling up extension cords and throwing away masking tape and command hooks. Mm. And I just thought, this is like such a Franciscan move right here. Like here I am in the trenches, sleeves rolled up, getting it, you know. Um, And so that's that's just kind of, yeah, that's what Francis wanted to be. He wanted to be with the poor and the whole idea of humility, like the word humility itself comes from humus, which is the ground, the earth, the stuff. And, you know, people kind of chalk Francis up to be the the hippie saint and the, the granola guy who just like hangs out in the dirt all the time and hugs trees. But really, it's not about hugging trees. It's about being with, like being one with the, the tangible incarnate, like making Christ's love tangible and incarnational. That's why we have Stations of the Cross. That's why we have nativity scenes. It's, there's something really like real and raw and well, frankly, kind of messy mm-hmm. about Franciscan life. Um, that we're, We don't turn away from the messes and kind of shy away from that, but we're right there. Um, even if it means that we're not going to be on the billboards and the, and the post, we're not going to be the poster children of, of consecrated life necessarily, but it's like, yeah, there we are. Well, certainly our Holy Father, Pope Francis, you know, taking that name would certainly applaud that. Himself being a man who wants to be in the midst of, of the peripheries, in the midst mm-hmm. of those who are outcast. Uh, his heart would certainly resonate with that. And in the, in the work that you do, whether that's healthcare or, you know, teaching third graders, there is something very incarnational about that. I mean, there's, you roll up your sleeves. This isn't, this isn't high in the castle work, is it? No. And, and a lot of us who especially have been in the education realm, we kind of laugh that, you know, part of our community is specifically making merciful love visible. Our hearts are usually drawn to the kid that nobody else loves, like the, the mm. kid that's talked about in the teacher's lounge. Like everyone's like, oh, he's so terrible. And I'm like, oh, he's my favorite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and it's just this very natural thing uh, to be drawn. Like one of my kids, he ended up in jail after he graduated from high mm. school. And but he's my kid, you know, and, and my heart my heart just bleeds for him. And I, I still I think about him a lot and wonder what will become of him. And I just I can't wait to get to heaven and see him there because mm. Praying for it, and that's if that's a way that I can mother him into eternity. Like that's what I have to do. So, mm-hmm. how beautiful. Well, sister, we're almost out of time. Any uh, any final words of wisdom for anyone out there feeling like, like an outcast, whether they're they're discerning a vocation that's religious, maybe just feeling a little outcast or separated from others in the practice of their Catholic faith. Sure, like Jesus is there. <laughs> like that. I guess that's that's one of the things that more and more I just learn and is an important lesson for me. Even the moments where I'm feeling outcast where I become an outcast to myself through my own sinfulness or just loneliness or whatever, Jesus is there. And to just be very aware of his presence. And even if I'm not aware of it, to stop and to make myself aware of it, to become aware of it, um, that we're, we're never alone, uh, that the enemy's two greatest lies are that we're alone and something's wrong with us. Those are the lies of the outcast. And so mm. to, to just mm. tune in to the voice of, of truth and the voice of the good shepherd who says, you are not alone and there's nothing wrong with you because you're mine. Beautiful. Amen. Father Travis, any final words? Can you be top that? No, that was great. That was awesome. <laughs> so good. Just, just a, a whippersnapper. Here we know. are, just at a random spot in Iowa, you know, just running into <laughs> each other. I'll see at some random Midwest parish soon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Coming soon to a random Midwest parish near you. Hey. Sister <laughs> Carolyn and Father Travis. Sister, thanks for joining us. So glad you made time out of your schedule in the midst of your vocations work uh, to stop by and uh, record with us. It's always great being with you. Keep up the great witness and blessings on your ministry. Thank you. Great to be with you. God bless everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. 
Catch you next time, and God bless.